watch a new film and how the critics really loved it Including yourself, but that you really do a good effect All your dreams have come true I heard you bought a house in Martin E Because you couldn't stand the smell of all the shooters of fist creeps And that you really do a good effect You're looking thin, I'm so happy for you It's Jason and Todd. Talk through lousy films. It's a show that Jason and Todd do. I'm Todd. And I'm Jason, but I just want to emphasize that this is a show Todd does more than a show Jason does. Jason shows up for the free ride. Jason likes having one thing during the week. You know, uh, it's actually per month, but Jason's high a lot of the time. (laughs) And so he doesn't really know what's going on. This is this is Todd's doing, and I, w- I want to take this moment, I don't do this very often, to thank you, Todd, for all your production work, all your uh, your uh, generalship of, of the entire project. Now, I know that it's appropriate that you be in charge of uh, the way this thing runs instead of me, because you have 47 regular podcasts that you do, and mm-hmm. I have this one. And so you know what you're doing, and I don't. And you're, you're the play-by-play, and I'm the color. And I, and I get all that, but without you, you know, there is no color Well, without I, you knowing what's going on. And I just appreciate it so much. Your competence, your consistent uh, uh, clarity of vision. I just want to remind everybody, if it wasn't for Todd, uh, you wouldn't get to hear me say racist, stupid shit occasionally <laughs> on this show. <laughs> That's not um, well, sexist, uh, ageist, uh, you know, you name it. I'm going to fuck it up. And thank well, you, Todd. You're you're very welcome. I, I you know I believe everybody uh, should have a platform. Um. <laughs> that's, that's 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 a position. It is definitely we're, an attitude. We're all uh, we're all different in this great country, the United States. And uh, so, how different are we? Uh, you know, I, I know that that uh, you and I uh, have some very, I think, minor. Uh, differences in terms of our political positions. Uh, mostly it's the, the differences in terms of rhetoric that we both basically believe that uh, humanity uh, can only be saved by uh, a complete subjugation and uh, probably uh, just an execution of most of the members of the white race. And I know that you and I have, uh, have, have our differences, but, but basically, you know, if we can agree on anything simple, it's probably that. Um, and I was wondering if this show, uh, Jason and Todd Talk Through Lousy Films, uh, shouldn't better be called uh, Prepare Yourself for Apocalypse, and here's another reason to kill yourself. Because I feel like this show this show does offer the layman, you know, uh, uh, in, in layman's terms, uh, another reason to not go forward with life. Because here we are spending our precious, you know, we're in the prime of our lives, Todd, yeah. and yet here we are watching fucking cry macho what well we, this was your choice <laughs> this was your choice and you 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 did a a, a last minute switch because we were gonna watch a uh, dirty work um but then yeah. you saw cry macho and uh, i totally agree with your assessment by the way of this movie um 
that well, don't spoil it for the kids. I mean, yeah. they might not know what a Clint Eastwood movie is like. They may not realize <laughs> this, this is all right. Here, let's start the movie, and then hmm. I have a have like a quiz question for you. Um, okay. Do you want to give us the countdown? So I'm I'm cute at zero on. I'm uh, cute at zero on HBO, uh, folks. If you want to watch Cry Macho with us, uh, all you have to do is uh, cue it up to zero, and we're gonna do a, a three count, and then go uh, on the uh, the one after the three count because apparently that's how professionals do it. <laughs> Todd, Todd says, I don't know. I feel that like we should always go on one. But that's why when I'm pretending to throw a freshman out the window onto the quad, you know, I always fuck it up. I always throw him too soon. It's because I'm not, not waiting for the extra beat. So are we ready? You, yeah, yeah. Give me the All right, number. everybody. All right. Three, two, one. And cry macho. There we go. There it is. Uh, it's begun. I mean, mine wait, begins with a an ad. I, I, I've got an ad of, of Vanity Fair saying something good about it's some the, fucking it's HBO the, show. It's the Tony Soprano movie. Oh, what do you know? So we couldn't get enough fucking Soprano. There's not enough New Jersey in my life. You know what I need? <laughs> I need more HBO shows about gangsters. <laughs> what was the thing, Todd? It's a movie, that, though. It's not a show. It's a movie. Whatever. I was just reading an article yesterday about how Ray Liotta got roped into this thing uh, by, uh, 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 amusingly, not uh, doing the original Sopranos show. Uh, he, he didn't want to be a part of it or something. And uh, and then now, apparently, he flew across the country to uh, insist on an audition for this uh, fucking Sopranos movie. And uh, now he's uh, now he's a happy man. Yeah, I guess so. I, I wonder if he was regretful of not. I understand why he didn't want to do Sopranos, the show, you know, as a successful, you know, movie, uh, rich movie actor uh, who might not want to be pigeonholed as. Yes, uh, he was doing gangster. something. Uh, I forget what it was, but he was doing some project when they were uh, when they wanted them to do the Sopranos. And he said, uh, no, I'm doing this other thing in which I do not play a fucking gangster. Thank you very much. <laughs> I forget what it was, but it was something relatively non-gangstery. Uh, 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 I'm not getting any sound on my uh, on my cry macho here. This is weird. Oh, no. What do I have Maybe do? you have. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, it's just as well because I, I didn't like the way this movie sounded any more than I liked the rest of it. No, it's not. Uh, it's not good. So I got. Here's my question. Yeah. Uh, all right. Mary fuck kill. Right. You know that game. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mary fuck kill. Clint Cry Eastwood? macho. Mm. The rookie. The Clint Eastwood rookie. Oh. And and uh, pink Cadillac. Oh boy. Now you know. You know, Todd, this is an unfair game for you to play with another human being because nobody, <laughs> nobody dives as deep into the deep cuts as you. And uh, I got to say, uh, despite my uh, sense that um, uh, who's the girl, uh, the, the, the great Broadway uh, musical star, Bernadette uh, Peters, uh, Bernadette Peters, uh, I believe uh, we were separated uh, uh, kismetically in a great tragic uh, accident of fate. And we're supposed to be fucking. Oh, <laughs> Bernadette Peters and I are supposed to be a boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, oh. And so, uh, so I should have watched that movie. But you know, you know what prevented me? Clint Eastwood directed it. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't see that one. And you know, the rookie. It's uh -huh. funny because I have a rule 
in which uh, 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 part of the rule is I don't um, watch movies with either Clint Eastwood or uh, any member of the Sheen family. If those two two are in the same movie, I don't watch it. And so I didn't see the rookie either. Oh, because you have a you have a no Sheen policy. The whole so, family. Uh, Sheen in conjunction with Clint Eastwood. Basically, if Clint Eastwood's in the movie, I'm probably not going to watch it. Uh, uh, but uh, but if a Sheen and an Eastwood are in it, especially if it's Charlie, no, you know, no. And, and it's stupid of me because uh, I should watch all the bad movies because they're so much fun. This one I found particularly fun specifically because it's got, it plays very heavily on everything that's wrong with a Clint Eastwood movie. This movie has, it seems to be composed entirely of first takes, poorly lighted, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, nobody got any help from the director. It's clear. Uh, even the other actor in this movie that you've seen before, there's only one, uh, Dwight Yoakam, who with enough takes and enough direction can seem like an actor. Not, 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 not a great actor, but you know, it's Dwight Yoakam. He's fine. He's got a lot of personality uh, in those little B movies, you know, the, uh, where, where Red, he Red Rock West. Nicholas Cage with a gun. Yeah. He's a perfectly, perfectly yeah, serviceable and he, actor. He's, he's funny in the crank movies. Um, great in the I, crank I, movies. I, and I, in I, this movie, he looks like he's a child that's been left in a corner alone. And then suddenly somebody threw a math book at him and said, do this equation. And well, he looks confused and, this, and helpless. When this started and Dwight Yoakam appeared, uh, I was talking to Clint Eastwood. I, I, yeah. I thought for a second, oh, no, is this some kind of sequel to South of Heaven, West of Hell? Yeah, let's hope not. And let's uh, hope not. It's not. Did you, it, did, it, did you like that picture? Uh, so I, I, I had have, high hopes. I had high hopes for that. And, oh, uh, me too. Uh, it's uh, I South of Heaven, West of Hell. I thought was an extraordinarily bad picture. Yeah, uh, it was. It, uh, it, very, it's very clunker to clunker to clunk clunk clunk. Yeah, it's such a a, a heaving mess uh, that there was some energy for me to leach off of. Uh, uh-huh. Whereas uh, Cry Macho uh, did not provide that for me. So I would say I prefer South. <laughs> I like South of Heaven, West of Hell better than Cry Macho. Um, uh, that's very interesting. I found South of Heaven, West of Hell so fucking tedious and and incompetent in its ways that I. This is the kind of movie that when it opens like that, real slow and sluggish, and you're meeting everybody while they're leaning behind a desk or something. Very similar to the opening of this movie. Uh, I usually don't watch those movies any further and so right. I, I gave up i gave up i have a long history of quitting yeah you are when it comes to cinema you are a quitter a, a yeah, watcher yeah. of cinema you can quit uh, yeah uh, I, and I, 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 do I, not, will, I do not feel an obligation to finish a project i will get put i will quit if i'm bored uh and the only reason i finished well i'll tell you my whole cry macho story the only reason i got through this whole movie is all this fucking shit was happening to me while I was trying to watch. Oh, it. oh, oh, God, you must have a better story than the fucking movie. What happened? <laughs> well, the first thing is, is that, so you, we talked and I was like, all right, uh, I'm going to smoke a bowl and watch Cry Macho right now. You, you geared yourself up. You girded your loins. You said, OK, I'm, yeah, I'm doing this. This is this is Wednesday, you know. Um, uh-huh. So so I sat down at the TV. I turned. I hit the remote. The universal barely remote. two days ago. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I hit I hit the universal remote power on to to watch uh, HBO, 
uh, and you know, my, my, uh, my receiver turned on, uh, yeah. you know, and the, and the, and the Amazon fire stick or whatever it's called that turned on. Uh, uh, but the TV didn't go on. Oh no. And I was like, what the fuck? And no, then I got, no. I got, I got the TV remote, you know, cause I was using the universal. So I got the TV remote cause maybe there was sure. some, uh, sure. remote malfunction. And no, that didn't turn the TV on. So I uh, unplugged everything and plugged everything back in and the TV uh, was not on. I was like, fuck, uh, the TV's dead. So while I'm watching Cry Macho in the other room, okay, in my office, uh, uh, while I'm watching it, I'm, I'm researching uh, home theater experts because the guy who installed this thing five years ago or whatever it was, he's gone. I can't find him anywhere. Um, so I'm, I'm calling, trying to get an appointment. So I did, I did. And, and the guy was like, all right, I'll be there on Thursday. And I was like, great. And I was like, gee, you know, and I got back into cry macho. And then like, as soon as I was done with that, I was like, okay, now I can focus on this. And then it's, I got tired uh, in about five <laughs> minutes. And then I was like, wow, Jason really likes him dull. I mean, this isn't a boardroom movie necessarily, <laughs> but pretty boring. So, so then, and as I'm like kind of sinking into the boredom and just like, you know, space, and then I get a message uh, from my manager saying, oh, there's revised sides for this audition you just had. Oh. And I had literally just finished it finished my audition and uploaded it and everything. So I'd already done it. And, and now uh, here I'm finding out I have to really uh, do it uh, uh, again, no. which requires lots of things. I have to set up and find an off-camera yeah. reader to do It's You know, it's yep. a logistical thing. So then I'm like mad about that. And then I'm trying to find somebody to read off-camera lines with me the next morning because I have to get it in. So, you know, by the time Cry Macho was over, I was just an anxious stress case. Uh, so and that's what kept me awake through the whole thing. But I swear <laughs> you needed external stimuli because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise uh, this is just a piece of shit movie with a bunch of old men. And I, I your, uh, what you were saying earlier about the, the first take thing. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree with that. 100%. Everybody seems like they needed more than one take. And it does seem like nobody got one more than one take recently i was reading that uh, tom hanks uh, had a problem uh, uh, on on set with clint eastwood saying uh what's the matter aren't you fucking ready what's the matter aren't you an actor i, I don't know if he cursed him but uh, apparently when they did that sully sullenbergers into the river uh river burger movie they uh, uh uh the star thought that he should have uh a little more latitude uh, to explore the character in front of the camera. And Clint Eastwood thought, uh, apparently he got very offended, uh, which makes sense because he looked at his movies and clearly uh, <laughs> the idea of anybody taking time with these things uh, would be offensive to whoever made it because uh, it's about not taking any time. <laughs> Clint Eastwood now, and, and you watch this and there's some, there's some uh, seasoned performers in this. Uh, and there's like this guy playing the, uh, the border guard, I've seen before. He's good. He doesn't need any direction. This guy's been playing this part for 20 years at this point. He's fine. Clint Eastwood doesn't need any direction because Clint Eastwood's first take is probably exactly the same as the second take and his fifth, you know, if there was such a thing. But now we're uh, getting into the realm of theoretical physics because there is no second take in a Clint Eastwood movie. So uh, <laughs> what we're watching is a guy basically saying uh, defiantly in his uh, 90s here or whatever he is, uh, I don't give a fuck. This is how we do it. And the other actors in this movie who don't have a lot of experience, the guy that plays the, 
the the kid, the MacGuffin in the movie. They has to go to Mexico. And fucking, you're Dwight Yoakam, right? You're this rich guy who wants to get richer, and so your plan is uh, to send your fucking broken down, broken backed, ninety year old cowboy uh, uh, to Mexico to kidnap your son so that you'll have leverage in some sort of a fucking real estate deal with your ex-wife. Right? How'd you get to be a rich guy if this is your fucking plan? Your go-to is this guy with a broken back who's, okay, we can assume something about Clint Eastwood's character from the fact that this rich guy said, you know what, you're the guy to go to Mexico and steal my son back, even though you don't speak Spanish. I think this is a great idea. <laughs> I don't understand these decisions, Todd. I feel like yeah. it's uh, it, it all was uh, all these all these calls were made on the fly. Is what it looks like to me. I don't know. This like seems to be uh, the aging, uh, you know, uh, testosterone movie thing. Is uh, when they get old, they go rescue somebody from Mexico. Yeah, or get someone out of Mexico. That's what Rambo did yeah. last time. Yeah, Rambo went to Mexico. That's pretty good. Uh, 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 I, I didn't like it as much as the one where he went to Burma. No, but, uh, yeah, you, know, you, you always well, got to go somewhere, is, rescue somebody. The problem was, is he went to Mexico, but then he came back to America. And then the Mexican guys, the cartel well, guys came to him and he had like his, he had like a, like a saw trap basement for yeah. waiting for them. Yeah. Uh, uh, the idea of Rambo as a serial killer never bizarrely never occurred to me until he went to Mexico and brought these guys back and trapped them in his creepy basement. You know, it's a, it's a little bit, uh, Stephen Lang, you know, it's a little bit late Stephen Lang at that point. It's don't, it's don't breathe. Oh man. It's I don't saw breathe. don't breathe too. I'll tell you what. Now this lady, this lady clearly got no help. Right. And she's got this big monologue in this scene coming up, but she has clearly done her own blocking. She had to figure out where the light was, which it's a trick question. There's no light. Uh, there's, there's one practical on the set. And uh, when she turns her face toward it, uh, which means she has to look at Clint Eastwood, uh, she's sort of lit. The problem is that she had to make up her own beats in this horrible, straggling, fucking never-ending, go-nowhere monologue, which is basically her big scene in the show. Uh, she's got no help. She's got no help from nobody. And look at the fucking director. He's sunk into that couch like, this is a good time to take 15. <laughs> yeah. Very quiet. Not getting not getting anything from this son of a bitch. And she's got to do it all on her own. And I felt so bad for her uh, until I saw the actor playing her son. And then I really felt bad for somebody because we have no idea. This, this woman, it's clear she can act. It's just, you know, she's unmoored and, and unassisted by, uh, by the sea captain there in this wet metaphor. But the, the kid that plays the, the, the MacGuffin uh, is too young and too helpless in this movie to be able to tell whether he can even act elsewhere. You know, I tried to look yeah. up some other stuff that he did uh, and then I lost interest. But he may be a good actor. He's just flailing. He's doing everything that he's How about my first impulse because I'm 15? And Clint's like, print. <laughs> well, I was just trying something. We printed it. <laughs> but, uh yeah her 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 uh her latina gesturing with her elbow on her on her hip and her doing circles and and doing things with her hand ah she, her hands are back on her hips again 
And now she's doing her lips again. She's showing all her teeth again. Now, one more time, by the end of this scene, she's going to put her hands on her hips because you know what? That's what an actor does. If she had pockets, she'd have her hands in her fucking pockets because that's what an actor does when he's feeling helpless. And she's clearly feeling helpless. Look at her hands. Look at the wrist energy. She doesn't know what to do because he hasn't told her anything. He hasn't let her in on the joke of the movie, which, you know, we could have told her. Uh, don't worry about it. You're going to look like shit because it's a Clint Eastwood movie. You know who looks, you know what woman ever looked good in a Clint Eastwood movie? Uh, none. Not even the ones he was fucking. Sandra Locke always looks like shit. She always looks like nobody did her hair on set that day. She's got no makeup. The uh, Francis, uh, Francis, uh, the lady that's in The Unforgiven that was his girlfriend then. You oh, know yeah. Uh, uh, Francis yeah. Fisher. Yes. Uh, Francis Fisher. Uh, you know, these, he dresses and, and uh, uh, shoots these women as if they're uh, farm implements. You know, you can see Frances Fisher looks like uh, a hammer. She looks like she's been <laughs> used as a hammer and maybe a rake before. Uh -huh. And her eyes bug out and her, they're all red rimmed and, and her, her skin looks like she uh, bathes with sandpaper. And uh, this lady is all makeup and hips because she's a sassy Latina villainess. You know, she's a she's a Latina Cruella de Vil. And uh, Clint Eastwood has the imagination of a bad script that somehow somebody sent him with only the first two acts in it. It's very frustrating when that happened. You ever notice this about a Clint Eastwood movie? He seems to take the scripts away from from the writer, just like he, he, he takes the acting away from the actor. He's so impatient. Well, that that was, a you know, well, I mean, he sort of was like the in a weird way, like grandpa or, or papa to the eighties action stars. And then he had his yeah. own versions of that with the, some of the dirty Harry sequels and whatnot and the rookie, the affirmation yeah. rookie uh, and all that. So, you know, I think, uh, how about this uh, in answer to your game? Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> Even though I haven't seen, I'll fuck the, 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 the two I haven't seen unseen. I'll still fuck <laughs> I don't think that's how the game works, but oh. that's cool. Sorry. That's cool. This kid's wearing a fucking a polyester cable knit sweater, rayon cable knit sweater in Mexico in 1979. I just want to point that out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's nice. And nobody yeah. wears bell bottoms in this whole fucking movie. And it's 1979. I just want to point that out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But we never see the cock. That's the fucking titular cock of the movie, the macho that, that cries occasionally. I think we only see him cry once, right? When he climbs up on that table. But yeah. he, uh, he never fights. He fights a man at some point, but he didn't do very good. He's, uh, he's uh, uh, not much of a character. But then again, you know, uh, the, the cock didn't have the benefit of rewrites. Well, that's what, I'm, take. That's, that's what I'm saying, too. I mean, even though this isn't an, an action movie at all. Uh, it's it's built like one. It has all these these uh, you uh, know the cockfighting. You had the cockfighting in that Rambo four movie. And then like, it, it, yes, yes. There these are all things that you see, especially you saw in eighties action movies. And another thing that I was saying before that he has in common with all those eighties guys that I feel like he sort of birthed in a weird way um, uh, is they they all took their scripts from the writers. And did their rewrites, so their name yes. on Stallone yes. did it. Fucking Seagal did it. They all did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 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 an obvious uh, uh, logical conclusion to a lot of these stars' vision 
of, of their job, you know, which is to protect brand and to sell product. And, uh, uh, you know, by doing one, you do the other. And Clint Eastwood's always been very careful about uh, making sure that his character suffers in the movie so that people will identify with him and uh, coming back from the dead. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's so many, uh, you know, pale horse and fucking all these things. Uh, hell rider, you, you need, hell, hell, uh, um, and the outlaw Josie Wales, and then the, yeah, the, the one where he's hell on the plains, the high, high, high plains drifter. drifter. Yeah, he's he, he likes to play a Jesus that has uh, resurrected from the dead, not to teach us our sins, but to shoot a bunch of us <laughs> in a badly lighted uh, action scene toward the end. What I, I hate an Italian western. I, I just don't get a lot uh, aesthetically from these movies. I, I guess I understand. Do you know, the gesture. like. Do you not like uh, spaghetti movies of any sort or just the Westerns? I have a prejudice against uh, a lot of Italian movies. I don't like the neorealists very much uh, either. Um, you know, I, I also am guilty of not having explored a lot of this shit because I didn't like uh, some of it and uh, got turned off. And I'd rather watch you know, a Jason Statham movie or something <laughs> else shitty instead of that. But what... Uh, uh, yeah, my prejudice against Italian movies uh, are pretty compartmentalized. Like, I don't really see, uh, do you know Diabolik, Mario Bava thing? Yeah. I really don't like Mario Bava movies very much. And who's the other guy that's the Grand Guignol, all the horror? Uh, and the Lucio, bloody, Fulci, uh, well, Dario, him. Now, Dario now see, Argento. Exactly. Argento is, is a step above, I think, the Fulci, you know, ripoff artist who eventually, you know, makes, isn't he the same guy? No, that's Luigi Cozzi. But I place them on a level. You know that they make these terrible fucking canon things, and and you know that's that's the high point of their whole fucking career. You, you don't like Zombie, aka Zombie Two, with Sissy Spacek's <laughs> sister? What are you talking about? No, I don't know you that don't, one. You don't? I like, know. I know. I know Zombie, aka Contagion. Isn't that the same movie? Isn't that? That the, might be. The, it's the, Lucio Fulci's Zombie, which is known here, was released in Italy as Zombie Two, like posing as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Because Dawn of okay. the Dead was called Zombie. In okay. Italy. okay. So he made this unofficial sequel, uh, All which right. was called Zombie 2. But it's Zombie here. It, but it's like, it's got that iconic uh, wood splinter through the eyeball thing. Is this not the one where, where uh, uh, they find a bunch of, uh, I guess I'm confusing this with Contagion, which, which is they find a bunch of exploding corpses in the, in the hold of a ship that lands in New York. This is not Zombie. Somewhere else. Uh, well, zombie. I don't. I don't remember. If, if zombie, if zombie isn't also called contagion, then I could very well two different could, movies. And and this this indicates the depth of my prejudice. I don't give a shit about it. Was zombie? Do you remember this movie, Contagion? What did it begin in New York, but then it moved to an island? Then they went to an island. No. So this so, is okay. so contagion is different. Jason uh, drags us on a on a dead end tangent yet again. Uh, the good news is that the only actor who who basically only needs one take is uh, was on screen for a second. The uh, the chicken, <laughs> macho, macho the 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 rooster. Uh, and I love how Clint Eastwood wanders. Right, he, he goes at the same pace uh, through the whole movie. Uh, he basically stalks the movie like uh, Michael Myers. You know, he's he's uh, uh, never never increases his pace for obvious reasons. And uh, and he only slows down when he sits, which is a lot. 
And uh, what he's what he does is he wanders in and out of this uh, very protected, you know, Mexican gangster house, right? Which we've we, these are tropes that we established back when Clint was very young. That a Mexican gangster house, you know, is full of these guards, and they tend to be armed, and then they 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 drag you by your elbows and they thrust you in front of the the, the godmother, and uh, they see what's your fate. He fucking wanders into this house like three different times. And they find him, you know, in, in the closet or he's going through a drawer. Uh, he's in the bushes. Um, she tries to seduce him. Several women try to seduce Clint in this movie, which uh, I don't know. Uh, did, did, uh, did Hillary didn't watch this with you, right? No, so, I couldn't. No, nobody would watch this with me. The family was Corey, Corey, not into it. Corey said, uh, and I've shown her young Clint Eastwood movies, you know, and she's seen it. She's not... Uh, an idiot. Uh, she knows that young Clint Eastwood is a sexy beast. You know, very, very, sure. very handsome, very, very charismatic, good-looking guy. And in this movie, every time he came on and one of the women crooked a finger at him like that, uh, Corey would go, "Ew!" Now I'm not trying to be ageist. I'm 50. I know what it's like to not want to take off your clothes in front of somebody. But Clint Eastwood sets himself up for this kind of in this by by pretending that uh, you can believe that this woman would want to fuck it. Yeah, not since uh, 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 Rob Schneider in uh, Deuce Bigelow, <laughs> El Gigolo, have I had a hard time believing that so many <laughs> women would want to fuck something that's so conservative. Well, Clint looks like he's going to break when he leans over to put a glass down. He just doesn't look like he's in very good shape. Uh, and later he has to punch somebody. He wrestles a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a uh, strange credulity, strange credibility. Strain. It strains me. I'm strained. You're being, you're well, being strained. Yeah. I feel I like I, I feel like I'm being shoved through the wire mesh of a sieve and, and little, little spaghetti strings of me are coming out the other side. That's how this movie makes me feel. Maybe that's Actually, wrong. This uh, this sort of uh, uh, criminal uh, being sexual with her Clint Eastwood victim is very yeah. uh, very in line with a sequence in the Rookie, actually. Uh, uh, so what happens in the Rookie? Besides that, he teaches uh, <laughs> he teaches Charlie Sheen how to do uh, cocaine or something. I can't imagine what what's this movie about. It's just a, it's like, you know, a Clint Eastwood stab at a cop movie, a lethal weapon uh, type deal. I don't need a partner. What's wrong with DiGiorgio? So, yeah. so, so once again, he takes on a partner that he doesn't want. He's got to train this, this wild rookie. Is that Well, and the, and the rookie, uh, you know, he's, he's connected to politicians and oh. silver spoon in his mouth, oh. a guy who's trying to prove but himself. Let me, let me ask you, is he a little bit of a cowboy? Is he a little bit of a wild, loose cannon? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, got, he's yeah. got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove. Now, and, in, in, and, the, in the rookie, does does Clint Eastwood have a character? Or is he just gruff old man? He's the old man who doesn't want the Charlie Sheen partner. That's it. He's, uh, he's uh, yeah. uh, um, you know, but without being a family man, he's uh, uh, Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. Inevitably. But, uh, but so he's, so being, he's basically, I mean, Dirty Harry, at least, for the first couple of movies, is a racist. That's a that's a stab at character. 
right? He basically <laughs> hates everybody. And the people he's protecting, he's protecting uh, essentially out of spite because he's got this shitty job to do. But he doesn't want to protect these gays, these blacks, these uh, uh, other minor Catholics. You know, he doesn't give a fuck. He, he just wants to shoot somebody. And uh, because he's essentially uh, uh, sociopathic. Now, it doesn't sound like in The Rookie, they gave him even that much of a run up to care. No, no. That's too and bad. It, and, That's and too bad. Raul Julia is the, you know, criminal mastermind who uh, yeah. they're investigating. And then he has his uh, hot, uh, you know, girlfriend who likes hurting people in a sexual manner. Uh and uh, when they have at a certain point, they have Clint Eastwood tied up to a chair and, and she, uh, you know, sucks on his face against his uh, ah. will. Yeah. Does she does she give him face hickeys? No, it's more. It was just like a face suck with like a lot of spittle. It's kind of okay. it was it was it reminded me of that that unofficial James Bond movie where the bad guy. <laughs> kissed Kim Basinger and like yeah. if you saw it on the big screen you just saw this massive thread of spit between their two mouths that made you go oh, oh god same, same thing in the oh god oh, yeah. sorry now that kind of sounds like a reverse of a tightrope in which uh, Clint likes to tie up women and uh, and and cuff them and uh, and uh, have the rough sex and uh, Jean-Pierre Bougeol, uh turns out to uh, like it Really yeah, unsurprising you know what, film. You know, it'd be a fun, you know, how they like, like fans will re-edit stuff. Yeah. You know? A super somebody, cut. Or, yeah. Or somebody should take uh, the movie 10 to midnight uh-huh. and, and, and the movie tightrope. Cause they're so similar and edit them together. So it seems like Clint Eastwood is the sexual psycho that Charles Bronson is hunting down. That's such a better movie than uh, than Tightrope. I don't think I ever watched Ten to Midnight. Uh, although I like that's a Jay Lee Thompson joint, isn't it? I like his uh, shitty little action movies a lot of the time. I don't know who directed it. I just I know Bronson's in it, and it it, it was intended. It, it, is Midnight's, he also is he chasing a, a serial yeah, sex it's, predator? Ten to Midnight is Charles Bronson's Tightrope in the way that you know uh, what are they called? Canon. You know, the canon yeah. group yeah. Uh, would give, you know, they would give Chuck Norris his, you know, thriller that seemed like some other thriller and yeah. Bronson an action movie that seemed like some other action movie. So that was that was uh, his. He had that period, too, I think because of the Death Wish sequels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first Death Wish is, you know, not OK either, really. But it, it, like the, the sex crime element of the of, of the first couple Death Wish sequels yeah. is just over the top in its exploitation and unpleasantness. Um, Ludicrously so. Yeah. yeah. And, and then he had all those movies like Ten to Midnight and Kinjite uh, or, or Kinjite. Uh, did, How do you say uh, what, what, what is it? Is, is this just uh, uh, I always assumed it was Kinjite because I, of course, speak Japanese. Right. When uh, is Kinjite? I just assumed Kinjite was kind of a, a playing on that uh, 70s trope, a holdover, uh, like like in my favorite uh, James Caan, Robert Duvall movie, where all the ninjas show up at the end and they're just shot with Mac 10s as they fly ninja like <laughs> through the air. They just shoot him in that. Uh, no, no. Uh, the, the killer elite. I'm thinking of Kin- Kinjite, uh, which I like when I was a kid, I didn't know how to pronounce it. So when I saw it at the video store, it was Kinjite. But then Kinjite. The, the full title is Kinjite 
Forbidden Subjects. Forbidden, yeah, yeah. So it's a sexual thriller mm. with Charles Bronson. And it's just so funny to me that there were so many of these late in life Charles Bronson <laughs> sex thrillers. It's like he and he never put anything forth in any of these performances. Like Death Wish, yeah, I'll give it. He was doing stuff in the first Death Wish, but you watch the yeah, sequels yeah. or, yeah. or Kinjite or No, he's showing up for work. He's barely there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just fun. And like, and he's so like, and he has sexual relations, and it's, you know, and just like in tightrope, they're they're putting his sexual tastes against yeah, the yeah. sexual tastes of the psycho, that whole thing. Um, it's just funny to see Charles Bronson doing that because it's like there, there's no sexuality in the man whatsoever. No, no, he seems he turned off after Jill Ireland died and he tried to kill himself, and Donald Pleasance nursed him back to health, apparently. For some fucking reason, uh, it's a testament to to the beauty of friendship, and it's also a testament to the weirdness of what happens when you become this this institution. Because his momentum at that point was like, "Hey, you know, I, 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 let me do my Donald Pleasance. I can't, I can't do a Donald Pleasance." But here's Donald That's Pleasance. Hard, yeah, Donald Pleasance talking to uh, talking Charles Bronson out of killing himself just because Jill Ireland died. Uh, Charles, uh, you can still make shitty exploitation movies for the rest of your life and live and 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 you can work three months a year and live in a penthouse and have somebody change your shitty diaper for the rest of your life. You don't have to die. <laughs> and here's, here's my Charles Bronson. Okay. That's it. That's all I got. There's there's something uh, really beautiful about that scenario. Uh, unlike this scene where now this is actually my favorite scene. In the I, movie. I can do uh, Donald Pleasance from uh, uh, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. I couldn't even pull that in my head. Do it. Do it. His final, <laughs> his final uh, appearance uh, as uh, Doctor Loomis. When he was a child, <laughs> I looked into his eyes. You did. Soulless eyes. Where are you going, Paul Rudd? <laughs> Come back here, Paul Rudd. That's my. Uh... That's amazing. <laughs> that's 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 really good. See, I I started. I, I was going to start doing him, but I was just going to do uh, Hannibal Lecter. I really, oh yeah. I, well, I, it's I hard just... to do like the early one. You know, like if you go, I, he. I, it's hard to do his voice. I can sort of do his intonations of certain monologues of, in the Halloween movies, but it's hard confused. to do his voice. He's a, he's a very, you know why? Because he's a fucking nuanced, specific, and excellent actor. Yeah, that's and, it. And, and those, those things are hard to pigeonhole. Uh, whereas in this, my favorite scene in the movie, I, I think the most, uh, the best acting in the movie is Clint Eastwood lying down around <laughs> the campfire here and just uh, riffing, you know, it sounds like a, parts of it he's kind of making up. Uh, uh, the kid might be making up part of this, but he didn't look like he has the capacity necessarily. But the kid did find his light. Yeah, more than, which is more good. Than Clint did yeah. in this scene. Because there's not a lot of light. They lit it no. with an actual campfire. So Norm MacDonald died, and uh, uh, I called yeah. up a bunch of friends crying because I was I was really surprised, you know. Uh, I have older friends, and when their uh, you know, boomer uh, icons have been dying and their pre-boomer icons have been dying, you know, of course, left and right for the last 10 years. And when my boomer friends say, ah, fuck, 
it's so fucked up. He was, you know, so important to me, whoever it is, uh, you know, uh, Ed Sullivan, you know, whoever. Uh, and I go, hey, just think about uh, all they gave you and enjoy those performances that you can watch on YouTube and everything's fine. It's a continuum, man. They gave you all that so you could carry on. And then Norm MacDonald died and I'm fucking quivering, sobbing wreck. And I, it was horrible. And I found out I was alone. Uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be alone. So I called up a bunch of my uh, uh, funny friends like you who would uh, have some relationship to this. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't know why you're freaking out. Essentially. <laughs> um, and and uh, uh, it's true. It's weird how these things uh, attach themselves to us. You know, it's weird how our projection onto, you know, a, a particular persona or body of work becomes um, very intimate and very uh, uh, kind of uh, inexplicably sticky. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know why uh, uh, I, I, I like his stuff so much, but Norm MacDonald struck me as the apex of a certain kind of uh, performance tradition and, uh, and really good at it. And then when it turned out that uh, for the last nine years, even his fucking best friends, you know, Bob Saget didn't know he had cancer. Fucking, uh, I know his, that's crazy. That's his co-host on his stupid podcast. Uh, didn't know he had cancer. Nobody fucking knew. It's unclear whether his family knew, you know, as his kid, uh, it was just, uh, it was like completely secretly fighting cancer with his doctor. And that was it. While, while getting $50,000 a pop to go up, stand in front of people and say, uh, yeah, if I had bowel cancer, I'd be the biggest coward in the world. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to uh, function if I knew that kind of threat of death was hanging over me. And so, once again, uh, as in the rest of his career, he's playing some sort of brinksmanship, weird in-joke game, so that it's fun for him. You know, like when he went to the uh, the White House press corps dinner, whatever that is, and they, uh, you know, and then he intentionally bombed and told, and uh, uh, you know, so that he could get the audience back, so that it would be interesting for him. Uh, the same thing he did at that fucking roast of uh, Bob Saget when he came out and read nursery rhymes from a fucking, you know, old <laughs> joke book from the 40s. There's a uh, there's a there's a kind of uh, high wire act that he did that I thought was uh, particularly appealing to me because uh, uh, I often imitate uh, I ape that kind of high wire act, for instance, on this show, because I come on and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> at all and a uh, sort of force of will uh, uh you know i'm pushing my personality on this project hoping that it, it makes a little bit of a, an impression and uh, whereas norm was doing something far more mathematically complicated and apparently he was really good at math too which makes sense uh so yeah i wanted to do uh, uh dirty work for this this week's uh, this month's podcast because uh, you made me watch dirty work finally because i always thought oh that looks like a piece of shit that, that'll did, tarnish did you, Norm's reputation for me. I, I don't. I don't want to think about uh, Norm did a bad movie because it looked bad. Fucking Artie Lang is is the star of the movie. You know, come on, it's not going to be any good. So, so you said on Facebook you were going to watch it, and I said, "Fuck, I guess, I guess I have no excuse because now it's free on one of my fucking stupid subscription services." So, I guess I'll watch it. And uh, so, let, I, I want to hear your take on this movie because you had seen it before. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I. Uh... I like it. Um, but you know, I have an affinity for stupid, stupid comedy movies and that that's this. Um, and I always liked Norm Macdonald's, you know, cameos in those Adam Sandler movies and whatnot. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, like, often the highlight of the movie. So, so it was awesome. If, if not Rob Schneider, you know, it's either him or, uh, or, or the, right. Or, right. I or kid. he'll get the cameos in the Rob Schneider movies and yes. he's, he's the funniest part yes, of the yes, animal and yes. shit like that. Yeah. So I, you know, and the truth is, is, is he a great actor? No, he wasn't. He really wasn't. But this was, I thought it was a funny, dumb movie. I enjoyed it. My it, favorite it, part know, is it, when he, he tells Artie Lang to moon the people. Uh, at and then he parks the car. And then he parks the yeah. car in front of him. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, it's since you bring that up, that, uh, I'm now placing it within the realm of your Hollywood hot tubs type, uh, you know, kooky movies that you like these these crazy uh, comedies from the '80s where anything goes. Uh, Pre Fairly Brothers, and then suddenly somebody did it right, and there were these Fairly Brothers movies that were fucking. I I, I think sort of sort of uh, cresting the wave of that gesture started in the eighties where John Cusack and a bunch of crazy kids, you know, uh, uh, go get a car at some point or they, they get a job and they have to make fucking burger, whatever the fuck, you know, these silly <laughs> things. And then all of a sudden the, uh, the Hollywood limo company is now running the whole fucking show in Malibu. And now you got all these responsibilities. Uh, this type, this type of movie, it seems to me is being commented upon in, uh, dirty work that this, uh, this idea, uh, this, 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 you know, the, 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 the ostensible MacGuffin of the show, which is uh, they're going to start a business uh, being assholes like they were when they were kids. So there's this essential regression right in the, right in the front loaded in the plot. And uh, this awareness of, uh, and I don't know that it's carefully beaded out in the script. I don't, I don't know, you know, I analyzed it, but it seems like, uh, uh, it's a, it's a typical Norm Macdonald project in that he's doing something. Uh, he's pulling wires that are so far off screen that you're, 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 you're kind of left to the conclusion on the surface. Well, this is, this is just a stupid comedy, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's stylized in a bizarre way. I think Bob Saget probably is not director enough to have handled this thing in a, in, in a better manner. Uh, but the script is consistently surprising. Uh, the characters are consistent. The the bits which take you out of the movie, it's got, usually dump it's you back got, in. It's got three Farleys in it. That's good. Really? In my book. Three who, Farleys. Who are the other? Who are the other Farleys? In the scene in the movie theater where Don Rickles is uh, uh, ripping everybody apart. Yeah. Um, uh, Kevin Farley is one of the guys he yells at for being oh. chubby or whatever. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, uh, John is also in that group of, of, of ushers. Okay. Um, so they're, they're there. Wow. I didn't even are. realize there were three Farleys. That's amazing. I've, I, I'm only aware. I was aware of it and I, I knew to, to watch for them, uh, uh, at a certain point was because they auditioned for commercials all the time back okay. when I was back when I was starting out. So I used to see them uh, all the time. Uh, John would book uh, every fucking thing that I was up against him for. Uh, he, he, he is really goddamn funny. That's that's why. Uh, and could command a room. And, and, and Kevin's he, really funny, too. I, I did an episode of Hawaii Five-0 with Kevin. I'm going to go pee. Can you riff on that for the length of a pee? Yeah, sure. I'll talk about uh, uh, working with uh, uh, Kevin Farley on Hawaii Five-0 in the grand state of Hawaii. 
it was it was very fun. Um, it was like this. It was it was a throwback to like 80s spring break movies. That was sort of the concept of uh, my storyline on this episode of Hawaii Five-0. And uh, in addition to Kevin, uh, there the, his two friends in the show were played by Polly Shore and Jaleel White. Um, and uh, I was, you know, they were uh, they were red herrings. Uh, to my um, spoiler alert, murderer, um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I I knew before I ever saw Kevin, I knew because he came on to set and walked into his trailer. We sh- we shared like a double banger, I think. And uh, before I even saw him, I heard this like door open and slam, and in the room next to me, just like, huh, and the whole trailer was rocking, <laughs> and he was making these. Like noises that, you know, Chris Farley would have made in one of his movies, you know, God damn it. Uh, And I was like, oh, I guess uh, Farley's here. Uh, And then one, and then the last night um, he was in a rambunctious mood. He's since uh, uh, quit uh, drinking, uh, but he was in a rambunctious mood and grabbed me at a bar. We wound up drinking all night with the director of the next Hawaii Five-O episode, which was, he had to be up at four in the morning. And at a certain, <laughs> certain point, a certain point, it was like, it was like quarter or two. And I looked over at him, his name is Eagle. And I said, Hey Eagle, don't you have like a four o'clock call time? And he looked at his watch. And then I looked over at Kevin just to see if Kevin was paying attention to what we were saying. And then when I looked back, the guy was gone. <laughs> fucking vanished. <laughs> it was hilarious. I, uh, show stories are the best. And he it was a funny uh, night of drinking because I'm with Kevin Farley, who who did remind me so much of Chris, and he was cracking me up the whole time. You know, he has that same boisterous comic energy. Uh, uh, and, and then this guy, this director, who was like really tall and like had really long hair and insisted he, w- he was descended from Vikings. And those okay. were my random drinking buddies in Hawaii for a night. It was See, a, the only, very the only people I know who, who call themselves Eagle are uh, uh, Hispanic. Like I, I have a friend from Guatemala who uh, uh, Aguila is his nickname. Uh, because uh, he, you know, that's a that's a thing down there. They they call themselves after animals, and uh, uh, I guess it never occurred to me that uh, somebody descended from Vikings would uh, would also call himself. Uh, uh, I don't evil. know if he if that was his given name or not. I really I really don't know. He I don't mean call well. himself. I mean be called. I, I don't mean to suggest that uh, uh, the director Eagle is uh, making anything up. I, I'm just saying it's it's interesting. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Do you see this bag that he's handing the kid? Uh, this bag full of supplies that he just got. It's the one they hand you at the food bank. It's uh, that's the uh, Tyvek uh, shitty, you know, indestructible homeless. You see them littering uh, uh, homeless encampments all over town. Oh, is this okay. little little plaid uh, a Tyvek bag that you get from the state, essentially, when they say, here are enough goods to keep you alive today if you aren't murdered. Good yeah, luck. I see some of those in the Simi, uh, you know, channel, you know, yeah. the channel that doesn't yeah. have a lot of water in it. Uh, yeah. You see those down there. I don't really see the people too often. There was one along the Arroyo Simi uh, Greenway. Uh, you know, the bike paths along the channel. Yeah. 
there yeah. was uh, on one side of it, sort of the, the opposite side from the paved bike trail, there was a bridge, you know, there's like an inlet going into the channel and like yeah. a bridge over it, just like a yeah. s- small bridge. So trucks can get on a dirt road. So trucks can get over it uh, when they're servicing the channel or whatever. And there was a guy in it. it I thought it was, he did a great job of finding the right colored tarps under this bridge. Cause you'd yeah. have to really look to see that there, cause it just sort of looked like more concrete and rocks, you know, it was that color, you know? So I was like, yeah. Oh, that's a, that's an innovative uh, person without a home uh, finding <laughs> this place to dwell uh, yeah. Where, you know, where, and there's a lot of houses along, along that greenway. And a lot of them have, you know, on the fences will have the, you know, a sign that says, don't tread on me, you know? Yeah. And I, I was, I was standing by one, I was taking a break by one. And I heard a voice like come from a tree above me. You are being recorded right now. And I was like, Oh, Fuck you. so there's a lot really? of people who have obviously have, uh, you know, a lot of fear of the very small number of, of uh, people without homes we have around here. Um, so, so they got to be wily. Guy, he went yeah. to ground. He, yeah. he found himself a, a God damn. Uh, but then like this? the other day it was gone and I was, uh, I, I was sort of like, well, that sucks. So there was a guy over here a couple blocks away in Encino who uh, had a whole underpass to himself. There wasn't even anybody on the other side of the street. He just had, uh, you know, a few squares of sidewalk that he had created a very clean, very well organized, uh, very uh, sanitary looking habitation there. And he was there for about a month. And then they kicked all the, 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 the fucking routed everybody out of this green belt that was over by the freeway. And uh, suddenly he uh, did not have the only property on that under that overpass anymore. And uh, I tell you, it was fucking heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I just see this guy's property values decline when they were already so goddamn fucking tenuous in the first place. And 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 we 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 segue to I think one of the primary issues with the Clint Eastwood movie, especially one that goes to Mexico, which is uh, the problem <laughs> of it's, it's it's the same Schindler's List issue. You know, it's how do you make some story about a guy? Uh, uh, you know, some fucking non-Jews personal transformation right that's the story right and uh, how, how do you set that against the backdrop of actual suffering and actual you know uh, human degradation when in fact what you're worried about is this white guy and whether uh, he feels better later so yeah. this is what you're saying is this is a, a white savior film that's what uh, all these things, right? I don't know if anybody else is going to get that message, which is deeply buried in this complicated Clint Eastwood movie. But yeah, I feel like uh, this white guy comes down to Mexico and traditionally, uh, what do you find when that happens? When you get in trouble, like for instance, you run your car in a ditch and now you're walking around with the, your, your kidnapped victim and his cock and you are uh, <laughs> greeted by what? Uh, angry people who are like, get the fuck out of here, Whitey. What are you doing? Are you kidnapping that kid? What's going on? And instead, they find nice ladies who want to fuck them, <laughs> who happen to run a fucking kitchen that never closes, that seems to feed the entire community for free. And, uh, you know, they feed Clint Eastwood like 30 times in this fucking movie. And eventually he comes back and sticks his dick in it, supposedly. Yeah, uh, he did and, get and, he did give that rooster the best close up in the movie thus far. That I mean, shot he was when, well when he, lit and he, he looked adorable. 
that is the apex of the movie right there when uh when that rooster shows up takes stage and crow and he, and then there's that shot of him posing there in front of you know looking twice as big as clint eastwood it's quite something have you seen and that yet no it looks difficult um i loved pig thought it was very good and this, uh, you said this reminded you of pig because it well, it's just because you got the you got the rooster. I mean, I know the rooster's what, what's, tied what's to the, the kid. Pig, what's the what's the pig performance like? The pig is adorable, but it's not in the movie for very long because the whole oh. movie's the whole movie is about him looking for his lost pig. Okay. It's not like I know a lot of people go into it thinking it's going to be one of these over the top uh, uh, Nick Cage action movies, but it's really not. It's a it's an understated uh, a drama about loss that is actually really touching, and and made me cry a lot. Uh, That's the best thing I've heard about it. Now I want to see it real bad. Yeah, that's great. That's it, great. It, you just I, I get people who are disappointed in a certain way with it because you know, but it's, it's good. It's, it's good. It's well paced. I mean, it's a drama. It's not a ludicrous yeah, uh, Nick yeah, Cage yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, Nick Cage is as eccentric in his performance as he ever is. Uh, but he's very, you know, you got to remember, this is a guy who won an Academy Award. I, I was just going to say, this is a guy who, who used to be the best at light comedy. And then for 20 years, he wasn't. And then he made adaptation in which he plays this light comic. Well, Cary Grant couldn't have pulled that off better. Fucking, right, you know, I mean, like could yeah. done better than that. His uh, career he's, he's, is all over the place, and 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 I think that like after the National Treasure movies, which he cites as sort of the things that he was so miserable making all that money that he didn't want to work on giant fucking movies anymore, and you know, and but he had to keep working because he spent yeah. so much money on mansions yeah. and pyramid tombs in New Orleans and whatnot. Yeah, these so, are fucking very nice white people problems. And I, I, you know, it's very easy to follow that kind of Olympian journey for me. Like the Kardashians, I don't give a fuck, whatever these people. But this is a guy with an actual arc. You know, we, we watched him grow and fail and grow again and, and become this uh, master of his destiny, apparently, because he, now he's making, you know, one in five of these fucking weird little indies. It's super interesting. Yeah, you know? I mean, I would say in the last number of years, like he, he usually has three movies a year, I would say. Okay. And okay. I would say one of the three will be interesting and bizarre. And then you'll have one that like, is like, I, I just saw the new one, which is called prisoners of the ghost yeah. land, which is biased this crazy, I think Japanese director guy who's known for his wackadoo movies. Uh, prisoners of the ghost land does not work. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's boring cage, which is weird because it's not, you know, like the, the serial killer movie he made with John Cusack, where he's chasing John Cusack. There, there, there are those or where he's a cop where he's, uh, you know, he just doesn't say much and he just grumbles yeah. and all that. Uh, uh, and this is like, it was weird. It was Nick Cage being crazy and the movie itself is kind of crazy, but it was so, I guess the problem is, is it was like really world buildy, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and not it didn't have any kind of compelling narrative. So it it's didn't. it's so it's it's weird to me that he's the only big star uh, recently who's making movies that are with some you know uh, occasional consistency, uh, more than occasional lately. I think that they're able to create those big bizarre worlds through character, through action, not with a bunch of uh, you know untidy ends as you're describing uh, in the. Uh, the new one, um, the Mandy and uh, the one I, that I liked even more than Mandy. That was around. It was I think a little after uh, where he's 
he's, uh, he's, he's talking to his dead wife. He's a trucker and he's, he's uh, uh, trying to get his wife back from the dead or so she's half in the other world. I think that's the name of it is something like, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually, I, I didn't see that one yet. I haven't watched that. I, one I really thought that was his performance as this trucker. His fucking thing is, uh, I thought was remarkable. I thought he was, just, oh, I gotta watch was that excellent. One. And the movie I thought was pretty damn good. And Mandy, for all its wonderfulness, uh, uh, didn't, didn't have that the visceral reaction for me that, uh, some of these other random little weird things he does. And he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's did you like his, in, uh, informed choices, his, that HP Lovecraft movie? Not much. Uh, but, but it, it certainly, uh, you know, maintains my, my interest for a while. It, it reminded me, unfortunately of that one where there's a storm and he's, he's, a, he's got a contractor working for him and there's a storm. This just came out a couple of years ago and he, he and his wife have this weird drunken relationship and this contractor gets stuck at their house somewhere in Florida during a hurricane and he can't leave or something. And so there's the roads washed out. You know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't seen uh, that one. It, it struck me as very similar to the HP Lovecraft thing in which he kind of waits for things to happen. Uh -huh. you know? And he's this kind of basically interesting presence, but he's not doing a lot. Uh, did you see mom and dad? Did you see that one? Yes. Yeah. With, what's like her name? Uh, uh, Selma, Selma no, I, I think a lot of, yeah. So, uh, uh, I miss Selma. Uh, yeah, she's great. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I thought the movie was poorly conceived and I thought he was, uh, not particularly interesting in it, but, there's something, you know, for everybody, I guess. And when I, I like when he, it. I when, he it when he clicks for me, he does shit. Uh, what did you like about it? Oh, you know, I like uh, over the top uh, horror with over the top gore. And uh, I, I thought the, uh, you know, I thought the uh, uh, conceit was was very funny. I like the conceit and I like the scenes at the school, you know, or wherever in the public where uh, all the parents are freaking out. Uh, I love those. You know, I'm a sucker for that. Uh, I like the happening. Just for that stuff. Sure, you know? sure. people jumping off of buildings. <laughs> and people, shit. people suddenly uh, becoming uh, somebody else. You know that kind of transformation and that kind of uh, upending of your normal uh, uh, social uh, tropes. That's uh, interesting to me. Um, but uh, the part where it was just a trapped in a house with the killers movie, I thought it was extremely rote and not very surprising. Oh, and, that's uh, fair. I mean, uh, that's fair. And I wanted him to be uh, more interesting uh, to me than he was. I, I can't quote you chapter and verse. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, I liked, you, uh, I liked Mandy better. <laughs> did you ever, this is not a Nick Cage movie, but talking about mom and dad reminded me of it. Um, it's a, it's like a zombie movie. A reversal of, of mom and dad. Uh, it's called cooties. It's got Elijah Wood. And it's yeah, no, I never saw the kid, this. No. All, the all it's fun and it's funny, but it's like teachers trapped in a school by the children who've all become uh, zombies, and only children like catch the cooties, catch it, 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 like up to a certain maturity level. Like if if a girl Look, has got the, the, the period, the, she the, the Mexican the Mexican savior woman appears in the dirt, and then uh, they. they uh, there's no limit to how much the indigenous population wants to help this creepy, frail old cowboy who refuses <laughs> to speak Spanish despite living in Texas for 90 years. I apologize. <laughs> so uh, they're trapped by the children in the school. And Elijah Wood is, uh, is, is a bad child. Or is he one of the teachers? 
Um, Elijah Wood is one of the teachers. Okay. Um, so this is recent. Yeah, no, I don't even. Yeah, know. So it's from a number of years ago now, but yeah, it. it I thought it was a good. Uh, Elijah like, Wood is thirteen. Todd Elijah no, Wood not. will always be thirteen to me. No, he's still making. Well, he he has still has yet. He has yet to do the Lord of the Rings movies. He's a little boy. Little boy. Did you He'll see never, his remake? Time of, will not pass. I'm fifty. Come on. Did you, Did you see right. his uh, uh, him in the remake of Maniac? No, I, I read a review of it that was so funny in describing the movie's weaknesses that uh, it sounded uh, boring. It sounded too boring to to enjoy. Did you like it? Um, I did, but I think I was just mostly impressed with Elijah Woods. Because uh, the, the original Maniac is pretty fucking awful. I, oh, the I, thing I, was, was yeah, it's horrifying uh, and gross and dirty. It's one of those grungy ass movies. Yes, grungy yes, ass, gr- icky horror movies. Um, but damn, the, the, the gore effects are fantastic. And, yeah. uh, and Spinel, uh, yeah. I think it is very good in that movie. Um, and Elijah, he's, Wood is he's very, always good, but he's good in that exact way. He makes you feel greasy to even talk to him. You yeah. Know, yeah something sure. very, very creepy about him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Elijah Wood is good actually, uh, as he, uh, as he was in, uh, what was it? Sin City where he was this weird psycho. Uh-huh. Um, he, he can be very scary for uh, like such a, a childlike looking fella. Um, but the thing well, he, that he's, me- he's, ex- he's experienced a lot of power at a very young age, which I, I imagine could be something to draw on, you know, yeah, uh, for uh, sure, for sure. And he, uh, uh, in, uh, maniac, the thing that impressed me the most is this is a POV movie and it's his POV. Uh-huh. So the only time you see Elijah Wood is in reflections. Okay. You know, uh, and he, and it's very clear his performance is good because he's there. He was literally there the whole time, like with the cameraman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and acting, okay. Okay. you know, off camera the whole, the, through the whole movie. And I thought that was, that was an awesome thing to do because not a lot of stars would do that. It's a fucking POV movie. You don't need me on set. I'll put the dialogue in later. That's what Al Pacino sure. would have done. Sure. Uh, so I, the, the dedication, I, I don't know. He, like, uh, really impressive. He's, he's, he's an interesting case because uh, uh, he made that movie with set in Eastern Europe or something with Eugene from the, uh, uh, that band, the crazy uh, uh, gypsy punks. And oh, yeah. Gogol Bordello and the yeah, star, yeah. The, 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 the kind of a linchpin of that band uh, stars in some movie that uh, Elijah Wood plays a kind of a you know, supporting ish role. Uh, he, he does he does things that he's drawn to. You know, he, he does. He has specific tastes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just wish I gave a shit. He doesn't <laughs> doesn't really interest me as a performer ever, but uh, I haven't seen Maniac. What do I know? What do I know? He's good in it. I like Elijah Wood. My friend, I'm not, who's I'm a, not crazy a, about the Lord of the Rings thing with the doughy eyes and all that. All you the can't blame him for that shit. I certainly don't hold that against. No, him. No, I don't hold it against fucking, him at fucking, all. Uh, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen is terrible in those movies, and that's you know that's an achievement. That's a fucking pro. You got that scene where he tries to laugh with Elijah Wood when he first does his entrance, you know, at the, at the first one. And he's, he's like, uh, uh, a wizard always arrived when he intends to. And then he does this, this, he's overwhelmed by mirth. 
you know, and they're both sort of mirthed out and they both start to giggle. And it's the least convincing scene in, uh, you know, 10 hours of unconvincing scenes. And uh, <laughs> it's fucking Ian McKellen. So, yes, I don't hold that movie against anybody. You really don't like the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, they're not very good. No, I don't think. Uh, there, uh, it, it looks, you know, you know what they look like to me? They look a lot like a Clint Eastwood production, except my understanding is there were many, many, many takes. Well, it, it, all many looks, hours it, of it, it all looks rushed, rushed and, uh, uh, thrown together, which I don't understand. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, dirty work, right? This is, uh, uh, I was thinking about, uh, regarding this show. I don't even know if that's a lousy movie. Like, I think it fails in its intentions. So in that sense, uh, it's a lousy movie. It would work on this show. But on another sense, it's kind of, its aspirations are so high. It's gaming its audience a little bit. You know, it's it's pretending to be this goofy, uh, shitty thing, but it's it's actually, I think, fairly postmodern. The writing is is, is complicated. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of subtext and... and uh, <laughs> More than subtext, it's, it, the plot references itself so many times. There's something complicated and weird in the intentions of that picture. And I think Bob Saget, uh, is, uh, as the director, has to take most of the responsibility for uh, the fact that as a whole, the movie just comes off as kind of amateurish, which I don't quite think it deserves. I don't know. It's weird. I liked it way more uh, 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 guiltily than you did. Like, you're like, ah, this is a good, stupid movie. And I'm like, uh, he's trying something artsy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, you know I, I'm under I, the spell I, I of get, Norm. I get what you're saying. Yeah, Norm is good. Well, yeah, you might be looking for things that aren't. But I, yeah. I, 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 do, yeah. I, don't think you're, I don't think you're entirely wrong. I think it's, yeah, it was, uh, but, you know, as far as d- defining it as a lousy movie, the critics surely defined it that way when it came out. Yeah, it was not... Uh, did you uh, did you hear the story? Norm uh, told a story uh, about going out with uh, Artie or Bob or Saget or somebody uh, uh, to see the 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 premiere, the actual opening in in theaters. And they went to five theaters that night. It was packed, and people were howling and screaming their approval at every one of the five you know theaters they drove back and forth to in L.A. Uh, when it came out. And so they were con- convinced they had this enormous hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the, the opening weekend, they're like, there's nothing we can do. And it's, I guess that was Saturday night and Sunday morning, he gets a call from the producer and he's like, I'm sorry, man, we tried. It didn't happen. And so his, his, his take on this having been a wild success, apparently uh, didn't translate to uh, wherever else they had also opened this fucking thing where it did so poorly that uh, it got dumped. You know? So it w- they pulled it after the first weekend. Apparently they didn't try very hard after the first weekend. Yeah, I see. I think it. I think it went straight to HBO, didn't it, or Cinemax, or one of those. It went to uh, maybe not, not straight, know. not straight. But I think it, it did not have a very long, very long uh, theater run. Yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, saw it on video for the first time I saw it. But I, I, I mean, I didn't go because the critics, you know, at the time were you know drubbing it, and I wasn't. You know, I'm always resistant to PG thirteen things, especially yeah. When well, you have it's when you have all those comedians, Ari Lang and, and Norm McDonald is a very blue comedian. Yeah, people who work blue normally. And I think you can tell throughout the movie, I noticed anyway, uh, having watched it once, that I thought many times 
there were obvious fuck jokes. There were lines that had been, you know, redone. Fucks were taken out. And uh, I, I thought scenarios were truncated. Probably there was more to certain scenes. Uh, it, it looked like that to me. It looked like it had been uh, neutered. Uh, well, for, uh, yeah, and it's too bad that that the, it, it takes because they probably lost whatever you know excess footage they had removed. It would be nice to see exactly. an rated version. But it I does exactly. as a PG thirteen movie. You know, they call movies hard R. I would say this is a hard PG thirteen. It sure movie. is. Yeah, it's very rough. And it, it, you, you say that it surprises me because I thought it was an R, and I couldn't figure out why they were taking out all these uh, fucks. But uh, now that you mention it, it's, it's not. So. But it's all like, but then the, because of Norm, I'm looking, you know, at him playing with the rules of PG-13 and trying to like make the right. hardest PG-13 because he just right. leaned and like he says whore as much as he can in the movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, other, uh, all the characters too, you know, so like, and that's an okay PG-13. So we'll just fucking lean into it, you know, the way yeah, we'd lean amazing. into it. Uh, speaking of which, I just rewatched for the thousandth time uh, that James Bond movie with Javier Bardem with the Skyfall, and uh, there's there's a couple of lines in that where you can see that in the script it said "fuck," and on mm -hmm. set they were like, "It's a Bond movie," and plus, you know, we have to have our PG thirteen. But uh, they gave they gave Judy Dench one fuck at the end. And, and I had been watching, you know, and, and there were two incidents where she had a line and it was all her. It was all her that she should have said fuck in these lines. The bloody well buggered it up. You know, it should have been fuck. I mean, clearly the line was written right. with fuck and they, they couldn't do it. And they gave her one at the end because you can get away with one. Right. Isn't that the rule? I think it's two. OK, well, they gave uh, her one sure. and it doesn't save the movie because they kept the wrong one. You know, they kept right. the poignant one when they should have kept the one that was funny or or, or raised the stakes or something. Uh, at any rate, uh, ratings, huh? Ratings. Yeah, it, it is. Movies have gotten real meta too with playing with that one, yeah. two fucks, whatever it is. Because there's a yeah. there was that X Men time travel prequel where uh, you know Hugh Jackman's Wolverine had has a cameo. Uh, I don't know they, that one. They're like recruiting X. Okay. You know, okay. one of the, I can't remember which one, but yeah, they're, I, they're, I, I didn't watch very many of them. They're traveling through time, I think, and recruiting okay. mutants for some. Uh, and they come up to him and he's in a bar. And his only line is when they ask him if he'll, you know, join the uh -huh. mission is fuck off. That's, and that's it for Wolverine and Hugh Jackman, which is a very meta joke. Uh, yeah. It was it was amusing uh, at the time. That's funny. I thought, but yeah, that's what that's uh, when I've been able to enjoy one of those, uh, uh, especially that uh, that's the Marvel Comics universe, right? Yeah. It, when I've been able to enjoy one of those uh, post hip self self referential uh, movies, it's because of the meta stuff. It's because of the falafel scene at the end of the you know the the Avengers. The Avengers, movie. yeah. It's it's because of them, and and that's why you hire fucking you know somebody like uh, iron man you know somebody who can who can envelop that rye and that i that irony and and make it sort of uh uh you know approachable mm -hmm. yeah uh well you know it's like uh, there was something going around on twitter yesterday about like you've got to you know it's one of these dumb pop culture what ifs you know but you've got to erase one of these actors in every movie they've ever been in. And it, and it, 
it's Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio is one of them. Yes. Denzel Washington was one of them. Tom Hanks was one of them. And the fourth one was Robert Downey Jr. For whatever reason, uh, anecdotally, I'm seeing everybody just, oh, definitely Robert Downey Jr., Robert Downey Jr., Robert Downey Jr. And I have no affinity for the Marvel Universe, but at the same time, I was like, well, I'm assuming some of you like Marvel movies, right? The only reason that the, that he's the reason series took off is, is because he's so goddamn charming. That's it. That's the whole goddamn thing. And none, none of the actors, and I'm not saying they're bad or anything, but none of the actors have matched that level of performance. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're still, I, I feel like the whole cinematic Marvel universe is coasting on the fumes of the Iron Man performance. I didn't even like Utterly. the movie. Utterly. It was just yeah. Robert Downey's performance. Yeah. I was like, yeah. this movie sucks except for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's so good that he. Just, well, it's like the Pirates. You know, it's like the Pirates movies. You can't fucking, you can't do it. You know, I mean, without without Johnny Depp, there's no. No, you can't. You can't do it without without Johnny Depp. No, you can't. Uh, Yeah, and so that that's interesting, and it's it speaks volumes to why we have this uh, obscure podcast about these fucking uh, silly movies is because the big movies are you know championed by the great proletariat, uh, who are essentially a terrible, terrible, terrible judge of art. (laughs) <laughs> and they don't even know why they like what they like because I fucking guarantee you, if you took Downey out of the Marvel Comics universe tomorrow, uh, no more people watching the Marvel. If Downey didn't show up in in Black Widow, and I haven't seen Black Widow, but I fucking guarantee, goddamn, to you that fucking Robert Downey is in it at least for a second, maybe because without his Midas touch, this whole goddamn franchise is a bunch of garbage. Well, and what I'm saying with the taking the hypothetical that was proposed is what they're saying is you're erasing this person and all of his cinematic work from history. Yeah. So if you erase Robert Downey Jr. and then all your all your all your favorite movies disappear. Yeah. If if you like the Marvel movies, you just killed him. So you, you can't pick him. This is what we're up against. These are the people who buy the tickets that determine what you and I get to see at the multiplex. Well, one of us actually goes to the multiplex, but uh, what I get to see when it comes on streaming, there's no uh, there's no excuse for the abysmal fucking taste of the general public when it's force fed some shit. They'll forget why they came. That's so gross. That's well, I hate it. That yeah, you told and, me it that. and there's too much uh, IP as well, uh, but. I did. I did. I saw. Uh, I don't know if it's IP or not, but I saw the new Carnegie. What's IP? Intellectual property. Like uh, they, they, they. That's what Hollywood wants now. They yeah, want. Yeah, they want yeah. stuff that's based on comic books. Stuff that's based on old movie. You know, it's the remake, reboot, yeah. reimagining bullshit, repackaged yeah. again. It's and now they call it intellectual property. Whatever. So I still prefer my movies to not. You know, I, I, I like French certain franchises in the horror realm. I enjoy, huh. but that's mostly because they're so bad and their own mythology eats its own tail or confu- gets yeah, confused yeah. along the way. And I enjoy that. Um, and I don't know how Marvel's going to keep up doing what it's doing without it turning into, you know, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. It just you can't be this consistent for this long. Um, not that I'm paying attention anymore, but uh, I just. I like original stuff. I like, I like to go into stuff. It's like, we've had this conversation before about like why 
I like certain violent, you know, action and horror movies because like, you know, if you, if you murder the kid, if you blow up the kid in the first five minutes, then it's all bets are off, you know, or yeah. if you kill Drew Barrymore in the beginning, it's like, Oh my God, all bets are off. So I yeah. like that kind of thing. And, and I get that feeling if I'm going to something that is an intellectual property, you know what I mean? If it's, it's its own standalone thing, I feel yeah. a little bit less. It's, it's, it's a lack of safety and a lack of comfort. I, I want to go and I want a movie to poke me and, and get, get me squirmy and, or get I me was, laughing uh, or whatever. You you touch on a fascinating uh, subject close to my heart because lately uh, I've been, uh, when if I'm in a bad mood and I want to feel better, you know, I go to my uh, traditional pick-me-ups. You know, I started watching the fucking Guns of Navarone again the other night uh, because, geez, you know, I know what's going to happen. Uh, All the characters are well-drawn. You get a lot of fucking, you know, if, if you want an hour of setup in your fucking action movie, boy, here it is. You know, mm-hmm. and so so these 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 traditional beats that I that I like that I can see in in a lot of other movies. You know, not done quite maybe as thoroughly or as as uh, as this one, but there. You know, any Jason Statham movie has a similar uh, a first act. You know, to uh, you got to assemble a team or get your fucking backpacked or uh, get your child kidnapped or whatever the fuck, and uh, you got to get on a plane and spring into action. And uh, there's something comforting about the beats that you like and there's something very nice about being able to go to a, a star wars movie if you like a star wars movie and go ah here's all the same beats as the last one. in fact this is the same story uh, no no uh, I, and times. i agree and i agree and, and I, I i know that you and i both have the, the you know everybody likes uh, comfort food sometimes because it sure. makes you feel like you're not an orphan in the fucking world and yet there's nothing essentially intellectually or emotionally stimulating about looking at a thing you've already seen. It's impossible after the first couple of, uh, you know, uh, I'm not a very quick study. Let's say I see a movie three times, right? Or I see a genre even three times. I see three examples of, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the guy has to go save somebody's kid. You know, we could, we could say this and, uh, the either of the last few Rambo movies, you know, uh, taken uh, and, and, or whatever, and taken. Let's say we hold these three movies up, right? And they're all examples of this genre. Uh, this one obviously fails the most because it fails to deliver what it seems to promise by, as you say, having the structure of an action movie and the tropes of an action movie and not having any action in. It. <laughs> Whereas the the Rambo version and the uh, and the Liam Neeson's version. Uh, you know, both of them deliver in terms of uh, guts on the wall. Now, why, why would you do that, though? Like, why? It's so I mean, this isn't the first time Eastwood's done this. He's like had his thrillers that were marketed as action movies before. Tightrope yeah. was one of them. Um, like, why? Why make a movie that's basically an action movie and it doesn't bring anything new to the table? It's just the same action shit. But then you don't put any action in it. This like, is, do you think uh, you're that interesting? Did you see? Uh, Is anybody? The, did you see Jay Edgar? <laughs> no. Okay. So I think there's a clue in some of his more boring movies, like for instance, uh, White Hunter, Black Heart. <laughs> oh, you oh see yeah. This thing, yeah. right? So, so there's uh, there's an essential uh, aspiration in, and I think the one that won the Oscar recently, the one about the Bob Million Dollar Baby, recently, recently when I was only thirty, uh, that, <laughs> that movie won some kind of Oscar, and. Uh, 
And these are movies without uh, a climax. They're movies without a third act. They're movies in which the second act stretches out and then becomes the end suddenly. And I start looking back and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the movies, the, the, the scripts that he chooses, uh, and he's clearly not a writer. He's, he's, he's uh, very vocally not a writer. And it's very obviously not one of those directors who helps write the script because most of his movies have scripts that don't have a, 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 a traditional uh, reliable uh, structure. And uh, J. Edgar is, is one of these things where um, it's, it's a series of setups. Oh, this is it's it's a it's a travel traditional travelogue biography of somebody where you get these high points and uh, you don't really see anything in between and uh, the makeup gets you know more you know mm -hmm. ages whatever, um, but there's no action there's no event that, and it's all told in flashback. Uh, it's it's as somebody literally dusty uh, recounts this story to some young FBI agent and so he, he listens to the fucking really boring story of this guy who was not a cross dresser. So this movie makes all kinds of political uh, and historical uh, uh, insincerities, right? It, it, it's blatant <laughs> in its sympathies for you know one of the creepiest figures in American history, and you you can separate that from the art. You absolutely can, and say, okay, I don't know anything about J. Edgar Hoover. Here's this fucking basically right wing movie. I can't separate the movie from its own politics. That's there. This is a movie about uh, 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 government control of uh, human traffic. That's it. What people do is subject to the whim of uh, this very reasonable man who wants put on a dress because his beloved mother died and he wanted to be close to her. And so he did what we all do when somebody dies. We go get their clothes, we smell it, and then he put on the dress. <laughs> that, was, that was the whole origin of that rumor, Todd. And in fact, Clyde Tolson, ah. who was his, uh, his lover for 50 years, um, they weren't lovers. They were very, very close friends and working uh, partners, Todd. Mm, so I didn't know. And again, you take, you take all this, uh, this, the, the factual universe that this movie has rejected uh, uh, in its text, throw that away. We don't need any of that. I don't need to know that Clyde Tolson, uh, that army hammers, Clyde Tolson would actually have been sucking J Edgar's cock every time they got a loan in a pantry or something. That's not, you know, necessary. Well, if it's, if it's Army Hammer, his spin would have been actually trying to eat it. Actually eating the cock, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, if if Army Hammer had eaten, <laughs> you know, chewed, digested, uh, and shat out Leonardo DiCaprio's cock in this movie, my assumption is that Leonardo, Leonardo would have bled to death. And then we wouldn't have had, uh, you know, some of the bad uh, Chris Nolan movies that we've had lately. That's my... You know, that's my fantasy life. I, I don't know if that's really the way things would have worked. I just, I just saw for the first time the movie The Aviator. Ah, sorry. Sorry wow. about that shit. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hey, the, the Aviator should have a tagline. The Aviator. You thought you liked Scorsese. <laughs> you thought Scorsese could direct anything. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, how dull is that movie? Like you don't oh, like boring movies. I really like no. bad, boring movies. That movie is so fucking boring that it's not even interesting. Like I'll, I'll force you to watch Alvarez Kelly and I'll force you to watch cry macho. Cause I think there's enough going on in the margins of just fucking totally willful, incompetent filmmaking to make it interesting. <laughs> but, uh, Jesus Christ, a movie like, uh, the aviator, what do you do? 
What do you do? Now, have you ever seen the other, uh, my, my favorite biopic of Howard Hughes, uh, The Carpetbaggers? With no, George I never Pappard. saw it. No. George Pappard plays Howard Hughes in that. You know, they changed his name a little bit. But, you know, he goes Hollywood, all that shit. Um, uh, I tell you, that's a fucking interesting movie. That's a fun pot boiler. That's a, that's a, it's got incest. It's got fucking every melodramatic trope in the world tied up in this three hour epic about this rich asshole. And the aviator is very much like a Clint Eastwood movie, not in it. It looks polished and finished. So in that way, it's unlike a Clint Eastwood movie, but basically the look that it takes at this character is almost completely neutral. Like there's no decision made about uh, this character in these circumstances and whether what he did was, you know, too much or too little. There's, I don't remember. I only watched it once. You, you just saw it. Is there any drama in the aviator? Is there an no. obstacle that he has to overcome? And then it changes the story forever. No, I, I, that happening. I mean, I, he's got obstacles that I, you would think he would need to overcome like this obsessive compulsive disorder he has or whatever it is. Uh And he keeps stroking out. It ends with a stroke strokes out. Well, I mean, when he strokes, he just says one sentence over and over again, whatever he's stuck on. And which is what I do when I, when I get nervous about uh, trying to uh, file my taxes or trying to do some kind of uh, uh, a software uh, download thing, I'll go, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And I'll actually start repeating like that uh, until somebody hits me in the head with a board. You know, like when somebody's <laughs> when somebody's hooking up the RV, you know, the uh, the the uh, uh, RV to the to the electrical connection at the fucking site. Um, you know, you need somebody standing behind him with a two by four in case uh, in case the electricity gets out of hand. That's how I feel in that. Yeah. No, it's just. I mean, it. I. It's one of those. Biopics, I think, that tries to capture too much, maybe, uh, of this hmm. guy's life. But but then it's not everything. It's just sort of various chapters. I don't know. It's weird. But no, it's like, will he get his plane in the air? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's it. So it's such a, I guess it's such a wealthy person's deal that yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, the, the thing about, uh, you know, stories that are set on Olympus is that even Zeus really, really needs to fuck that girl. You know, even even Hera is, yeah, she's a goddess. Sure, she controls, you know, the destiny of man, planets and shit, but her husband's cheating on her, and that's a big fucking deal to her, you know? And and with, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, I always feel like, hey, he's furrowing his brow again. What does that mean? I, he's furrowing, he did that earlier. Oh, right, uh, this is a scene where he talks. So he's going to furrow his brow a little bit, and then we'll go on to the rest of the movie where they show pretty people dancing or whatever the fuck. Oh, how about a how about a fucking uh, 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 an aerial view of Los Angeles at night in the '30s? I bet you that'll be that'll be something. Let's put that in for ten minutes. Sure, Marty. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah it it wasn't well in some of the performances too. I thought like, is this supposed to be a comedy? They were comical. Yeah. You know, a lot of the a lot of the supporting players like trying to play the period like uh based on movies they saw. You know, it's like that cliche of uh, you know just putting C at the end of half your sentences. Listen here, C. (laughs) 
there's a there's a weird thing in that uh, in that Scorsese is a, a you know past uh, master slash student of uh, film language, right? So this is a guy who's probably not making mistakes, right? These are probably conscious conscious decisions. There may be mistakes, but they're not uh, they're not just accidents, right? So right. he marries this. Uh, okay. You, you know, uh, the, the best example of this that I can think of is the the, the, the Mommy Dearest. You know, you've seen this movie? Yeah, sure. Dunaway. Yeah. I have a debate uh, with a couple of friends about this movie and how it's actually fucking genius because Faye Dunaway's performance is not over-the-top terrible. It's that she's playing Joan Crawford, playing Joan Crawford, which mm-hmm. is the joke of the book, right? That little girl keeps saying, well, I, I wasn't talking to her. I was talking to Joan Crawford. I, I, you know, there was no mother character. There was this woman trying to equal this uh, silver screen persona that she that was never really real in the first place. And it's just a bizarre thing. And I think you can see uh, the filmmaker who's uh, made some really good stuff. Um, you, you can see him and Faye working together, Frank Perry, uh, to uh, to create uh, a character who is uh, incredible on an elevated sort of uh, meta level, right? That you can see the, the 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 character trying to create a different character on screen, and it's you know bizarre and off-putting in a lot of ways. And I I feel like if Frank Perry were a little more polished, a little more interested in in slickness, uh, we'd be able to see that a little better in this movie. Um, but he liked rough edges. His version uh, of Doc Holliday's story also has Faye Dunaway in it uh, with, uh, oh shit, who played Mike Hammer in the TV show and he killed Stacey somebody Keech? in Ireland? Stacy Keach plays uh, Doc Holliday in this movie called Doc from 1971. Wait, I recommend oh, it. Oh, I've seen that. Stacy Keach killed someone in Ireland? Yeah, I think he pulled a, 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 a Matthew Broderick before Matthew Broderick even did. And when, oh. they, when he, uh, uh, or wait, maybe it wasn't that he killed someone. It was just that they found a bunch of cocaine in his boot heel. Maybe that was all it was. Oh, well, that's, you know, that's just I thought maybe time. he killed somebody, too. I can't. Uh, if you're a movie star uh, and you want to kill somebody, I guess the, the answer is go to Ireland. Because you <laughs> probably get some community service and be yeah. able to make some more movies. I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Do you sorry, think, Stacey. by the way, when you're talking about uh, Faye Dunaway's performance as Joan Crawford, do you think on some level that's what Kate Blanchett was doing? Yes, exactly. Hepburn? Because it, it just exactly. like. Exactly. And that's what I think a lot of the actors were doing in that movie was somehow they had been directed in that, uh, you know, play, play a, a movie version of your, of your character, play the, play the star version of your character. And to what end is not at all. It doesn't seem to work to me, but I, I feel yeah. like it's obvious that a lot of these characters have been told to act larger than life and cartoony in a basically very straightforward, non-cartoony presentation. It's weird. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's nothing Warner Brothers cartoon. There's nothing. There's no Bugs Bunny in that movie at all. And yet, a lot of the characters show up and and act like that. Peripheral. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what it is. I guess. Yeah. It was weird. It took me three days to get through it. But I I I watched the whole thing. Well, uh, uh, I once watched the whole thing too, and I promised myself then that that would be the only time probably will not revisit the aviator i don't i don't see myself as ever watching that again except it, like on a dare yeah i lost a bet i guess yeah i like how the mexicans in this movie are are, are of uh 
the, the Mexicans that aren't trying to kill you in this movie are of two stripe. One of them is they feed you a lot. And the other one is they play into some racist trope about corruption and shittiness, uh, which is most of the cops in this movie. Uh, all of the cops, I think we get to see uh, acting corrupt and uh, all the other Mexicans we get to see uh, kindly, you know, playing the fucking good Samaritan uh, to, to these assholes who don't do anything to deserve it. Please. So it takes an hour after he moves into that town, it takes him an hour to fucking uh, fix somebody's pig, you know, or a goat or something is presented to him. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm good with animals. Make it look like my hands can work. So that there's, uh, uh, and, and we unload and load this car with all this shit that's stolen, right. With the car, they stole the car. Uh, there's no reference made to the fucking poor Mexican who had this poor Mexican car who can't even get to fucking work now, you know, because these guys stole this vehicle with all his instruments. You know, there's a fucking uh, a, a double bass case. There's all this uh, suitcases and shit, and uh, they carefully pack it back into the car. We never get to see what any of it is, and we uh, it, it's never referenced in the plot. There's no uh, therefore. There's no story in this fucking interminable picture. There's no detail. There's, you know what, kid? Someday I'm going to tell you that your dad was corrupt, but not in this scene because that would end the movie. Maybe we just keep going. So there's, uh, uh, there's uh, the, the the inherent uh, racism uh, of of this kind of a production. I find bizarre, not because it's a Hollywood movie, and certainly not because it's a Clint Eastwood movie, but because it's 2021, and I I. I get the impression incorrectly. It's clear that we're past, you know, pulling a woman's tits out in the first act just to show a rape so that we can establish the villainy of some character, you know, uh, uh, or, uh, you know, more practically we establish the helplessness uh, of women. These kinds of things I thought uh, we were taking a closer look at these days and that, that some of these, uh, you know, inherently ugly tropes would have been, would have been a little bit shied away from by the point that Clint made this movie. But uh, such seems not to have been. But no, but yeah, Rambo movie just came out a couple years ago. That was a little bit racist. Don't you think? Uh, yeah, in, but it's a cartoon and this movie acts like it's not a cartoon. Although Corey, I think correctly uh, pointed out that it, many of the interiors, uh, it looks like a cartoon that, that, that uh, uh, the Mexican kitchen, you know, mm -hmm. with all the cool pastel 50s colors and all the uh, little odds and ends. And it, it's the only set that looks dressed in this whole movie. Everything looks found in a Clint, Clint Eastwood movie. It looks like the production designer was allowed to walk past the set, but not really, <laughs> not really contribute anything. Uh, yeah, that rooster is the only fucking performance that's consistently interesting. And they hide him for most of the movie. He never gets a cockfight. He never gets to play out his destiny. He's a fucking, he's a, he's a cliche that Clint Eastwood carries around instead of a big gun because he knows that a big gun would break his fucking hand. <laughs> Which is oh, sad. whoa, there's action all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, and this is the most easily defeated fucking team of, first of all, they come after him alone. You stole my kid, you know, which uh, to a Mexican, in my experience, having Mexicans in the family, uh, they take their kids fairly seriously. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, they, they take their kid uh, missing uh, as a loss, an ex-husband stealing your kid 
uh, you kill that guy, right? You kill the courier, you kill uh, everybody involved. And uh, we saw that she has more gangsters working for her than this one thug. And yet this guy has his gun taken away from him repeatedly by chickens and uh, smacked around. And he doesn't even have to be killed is what a fucking minor threat he is. This guy's nothing. He's got no actual, ob he presents no actual obstacle to the hero. And repeatedly, you know, they already, at first they had him get beat up by, uh, so it's a little bit any which way, you, but loose, you know, mm -hmm. when, when he has the, the random passersby in a parking lot, beat up this guy for, for being a child molester or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then later uh, when there's no, uh, uh, you know, passersby standing around, uh, you, you just beat him up mm -hmm. and throw a chicken at him, take his gun away. And, uh, and now he's totally defanged. And now you get the rest of the movie to not worry about him at all. So uh, presenting Mexicans as uniformly fucking either, uh, you know, the indigenous helpful or the fucking idiot stooge. Some people would consider, uh, you know, a little bit of a faux pas in this day and age. And clearly a lot of people uh, don't give a shit. Uh, and that's fine. I guess that's fine. I guess. I love it that he that he steals this Cadillac, which only has uh, it has the fucking uh, turn signal light uh, popped out conveniently. There's not even any body damage on the car. He just he just uh, said, I don't know, make it look like it got in a collision, but not too much. I don't want to have to pay for that shit. <laughs> it all looks like a series of fucking surrenders. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's plenty. That's very good. Uh, smile. I'm going to smile in this scene. And the kid, right? Ostensibly, the kid's got to go through this character journey. Um, you know, he's got to grow. He's got to decide that he's going to side with his corrupt father instead of his corrupt mother. Ostensibly for a reason, right? Something must give him a reason to do this because his choices are between hang out with your corrupt mother or hang out with your corrupt father. That's it. Uh, uh, join forces with your mother against your father or with your father against your mother. And uh, for no clear reason at all, other than that he likes the cadaver that his dad sent to, to retrieve him from Mexico, uh, it's not clear that he's made any kind of a intellectual or moral decision about where to spend the rest of his life, you know, how to take this next chapter of his life. And there's creepy fucking fat uh, uh, Dwight Yoakam on the other side of the border. And he's a little reticent. You know, he doesn't really want to go to his dad because it's not that the happy of an ending. Um, which, by the way, Clint, is what we were looking for. I was really hoping that there would be uh, some kind of catharsis in this, some kind of a, a, a discovery, a revelation, a change of heart, uh, a, a clarification. Now, a uh, kid's just going to uh, uh, hesitate for a little bit and then walk across the border. And uh, Clint, Clint's going to go back to fucking Mexicans who always will take care of him, always will shelter him. And protect him from the world of corrupt Mexicans, I guess, which is uh, his only other threat here. Kind of, it's disappointing in a in a cheat way. Like I feel cheated. I don't feel like let down. I feel like uh, a little sharp, sharp uh, anger at at having been missteered. This movie, this was this was going to have a thing, and it didn't have anything. Nothing happened. I'm going to I'm going to film myself for an hour, 45 minutes going on an errand 
and call it Cry Macho 2. Right? Because that's what this is. He's a guy on an errand. He's a, and you know he's what a, he does he's the an errand. errand boy sent by grocery clerks. You know, it's, it's yeah. the old, old story. And nothing fucking, nothing changes in any of the characters. Nothing grows. You know, some of the bad things are defeated. Uh, uh, by what? By, you know, grit. They don't quit, which is the, you know, he understood the most basic part of a fairy tale. And that's all. The part about how you have interesting characters along your journey, that part he didn't get. The part about how there are surprises. That didn't interest him in the least. Print. I wish uh, I was famous enough to make a movie about running an errand and have, you know, a studio back me up on it. That'd be cool. I wonder, I wonder, because apparently it's not that hard to convey. I have a feeling that when Clint Eastwood uh, actually reads something like the first paragraph, he's sold already. So you have to be, his handlers are very, very careful about what they actually get to him. <laughs> you know, uh, because uh, he'll just say, yes, this is good. And I wonder if we couldn't worm our way to him so that he, this is only his penultimate film. And then he makes one more about uh, bread, milk, <laughs> eggs. What the fuck was, what the fuck was bread, <laughs> milk, egg, butter, bread, milk, <laughs> eggs, butter, toilet paper. <laughs> bread milk and then it just you know and eventually he gets in the car and he's still saying this over and over and he fucking parks at ralph's and he, he goes to get out but then he closes the door again looks at himself in the rear view and he says bread <laughs> milk eggs butter bread bread milk and then you know, there's another 10 minutes of that and then he goes inside and then he walks up to the deli counter and he just says to to the deli clerk Bread, milk, and eventually, uh, you know, toward the ninety-minute mark, uh, a truck comes and some guys with a net get out and they and they come in and they sidle up to Clint, who's lost in the coffee aisle. He didn't know there was this much coffee on Earth, and he's bread, and they just quietly butterfly net him and take him out and put him in the truck. And you, but you can still hear his voiceover as the ambulance <laughs> is driving off to the sanitarium. Eggs. <laughs> print that was all good wasn't print that back. an old sesame street cartoon it was one of those milk. great liberal gestures uh, uh, uh from public broadcasting where i as a child living at the five mile uh cul-de-sac end of a farm road uh got to identify with a black girl character in my formative years and I think that was one of the most important things that ever happened was that I watched fucking Sesame Street and had to make friends with black people and and Mexicans from the city. Oh, my God, they're not even Mexicans. There's some other kind of Hispanic that I didn't even know about when I was four, you know, and 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 that girl, quart of milk, loaf of bread, stick of butter. Yeah. And the way she said butter. Yeah. Fucking knocked me out. I could <laughs> I could I could taste the butter when she said butter. You know, because we had harder R's. We're, you know, yeah. wherever we're from is not where she's from. Oh, man, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, are you, like when you were doing it, it's, 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 I'll never, it's I, that's obviously something where I'll I stole never it. forget. I'll never yeah. forget. Well, it was a great reference, re Reference, I thought. Well done. I, I, I'm but glad it's... you reminded me that I was making it because I thought I was making all that up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was not my intention. 
Uh, hey, I write I write entire screenplays and then realize, oh, this was a joke in Die Hard. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I spent the previous two hours, uh, previous to this show, um, getting uh, uh, routed by my uh, uh, dramaturg friend who uh, uh, this is the second draft of this play that I've sent to her. And uh, the first time I was really up on my hind legs and I was like, ah, you're being mean for no reason. And uh, that's no good. And she was very patient. And uh, afterwards I called some of my friends and I said, ah, my dramaturg friend was really mean to me for no reason when she said my play wasn't perfect and fuck, what is it with people? And I had this whole, I developed, I extrapolated this whole theory about uh, what it means to have a doctorate, what it means to study that much and how you just become this asshole. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, and, and now, uh, well, since then I, I, I thought, well, maybe it was me. It's possible that I was the asshole. Let's look at it from that perspective. Just for a, just for a little teeny, teeny tiny <laughs> second. And, uh, and so we had the second round today and, uh, I think it's because I yelled at her last time that she wasn't an asshole this time. No, I don't <laughs> think so. I think it's the opposite. Uh, I, I think I got a little better at taking the notes. Uh, but it was still an abusive two-hour session of somebody saying that my work wasn't perfect and that I needed still to do s- some work on it, and you know, which is not the thing I want to hear, which is no. why I was so glad to be able to get off of Zoom with her and get on to Zoom with you because uh, your expectations for me are very low. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really think that Jason's going to pull it out this time at all. Uh, and so uh, when I make it all the way through a podcast, I think we're both pleasantly surprised and uh, we feel a little optimism about the trend of the world. Yeah, it is. It leaves me with a hopeful feeling. And and yeah. that is not what uh, Cry Macho left me with the first time I watched it. No. How did you feel uh, uh, at the end? I felt like Jesus Christ. I, I I wish I'd seen that on my big TV, but it's not working. I'm I'm really sorry that you didn't yet have the opportunity to watch this on your 89 inch screen. Maybe uh, it would have been better if it was bigger. I think it would have been terrifying to see Clint Eastwood so emaciated, so large. I mean, he's, Maybe you're right. He didn't he didn't look good in this. It's it's tragic because uh, uh, you know Clint Eastwood's whole thing is based on he looks like that. You know. He's got a lantern jaw. He's got the squinty eyes. He's got that firm line of mouth, you know, with, with no, uh, I mean, you can tell this guy's Nordic background because his nostrils have no flair and he doesn't have any lips at all. Right. You know, this is a fucking Northern European who's out here with a six gun to shoot. And he, he's taken that away by allowing himself to get this old fucking feeble looking. He's no longer inspired <laughs> well, kind of authority. Well, yeah. I mean, some people when they're 90, just go back to playing the piano. You know, <laughs> some people when they're 90 are like, uh, I don't know. Uh, do you think I could pull this off anymore? And all the people that are getting, you know, $100,000 salaries to feed him scripts that were written by their fucking illiterate friends are like, no, you've got decades left. You've got at least a decade left. I mean, what do you say to your gorilla when he's like, I don't know, I think I might quit. And you just bought a fucking house. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, no, you need to true. pay for that house, and you got to redo the garage, and it's only for one car. It's a fucking silly old house. I'm sure you that's. Say, Listen, Clint, you got ten good years. I mean, what's he going to believe if you tell him ten years? Is he going to buy that? I mean, if you said twenty, you know, he'd fire you because he'd know you were full of shit. 
Well, you know, I don't know about his filmmaking, but on screen, you know, he what he didn't look like Bruce Willis does now. Like he didn't look lost <laughs> through no. the whole. And, and it's 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 a point that I tried to make in the middle of this and talked over myself. But there's a uh, he's the kind of guy who's got 50 years of filmmaking experience where he doesn't really need a director that much. He's going to say these lines. And it's going to be okay. He's not embarrassed. He doesn't embarrass himself in this. Now, in White Hunter, Black Heart, where he tried to play somebody as complicated as John Huston, you know, he's it's humiliating. It's degrading <laughs> to the human spirit to see him attempt acting feats which are beyond him. You know, and and him playing a complex character as he attempts to do a couple of times in his career, this ends in abject failure. What I find uh, lastingly fascinating about Cry Macho, at least in the four days since I saw it first, is that uh, Clint's filmmaking skills don't seem to have suffered at all from being fucking ninety and spacey and kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, uh, still a first take kind of. I don't care about the art. He could still do exactly his cookie cutter directing the same as he could when he did the yeah that's uh, true all all those fucking movies in the eighties and nineties you know it's still just a, a, a very simple very straightforward very unartistic inartistic uh, fairly clunky but it was it the right, was it the right uh, fit for uh, the cry macho story <laughs> uh, I think the right fit for cry macho would have been a writer's room. Where, yeah. where some people got together and said, okay, so we don't have a third act and we've tacked on this thing where they just get there, right? The end of the journey uh, is coming and, uh, well, we have to have that bad guy come back. Okay, we have him come back and be easily defeated and then we get there. Yeah, that's a third act. That's good. That's good. Um, it's yeah, a chase movie where they, where they fucking eat a lot of fucking chili rano. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot of sitting around and playing with chickens. You know that but white, I, don't, I don't think Hunter there is a pr- correct approach. That white hunter black heart uh, 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 takedown uh, that you just gave 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 us um, reminded me of the uh, repeating uh, motif line of dialogue in uh, what I, I believe we both feel is the best uh, Dirty Harry film. Absolutely, Mag- Magnum Force, which was it's got to know his limitations exactly, and that's yeah. and I think that's a common. You know, movie star problem certainly was in that era, you know, yep. where you where the egos were so large, anything they're in is going to be good. Bruce Willis knew Hudson Hawk was going to be fucking great. Not only Hudson Hawk, Bruce but, Willis. but that that band he put together and those albums he put out. I mean, this shit was really going to fly. Bruno, the return of Bruno. <laughs> uh, it's uh, interesting. Now, now you bring up. A, uh, uh, let me ask you this. Uh uh, Mel Gibson or Clint Eastwood, which is the better filmmaker? Mel Gibson. And the reason? I have uh, reasons. I'm acting like there's a reason. Uh, uh, like, like, what's one reason that he's a better filmmaker? Uh, well, doing more than one take, clearly. Seems um, to help. But I mean, he also, I mean, with his movies like Braveheart, he develops, he develops scripts for fucking years, you know, is one. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're (laughs) characters that go through arcs. I mean, even our Apocalypto, you're following this, this tribe, tribal guy. Yeah. 
And yeah, wonder, and, and yeah, you know, the changes that he goes through, and the and the the, the uh, it's not like in a Clint Eastwood movie where the bad guy beats him up for a while, and then he has to wear a facial prosthetic for the rest of the movie while he shoots him. Right. You know. Well, and it, also it's an actual obstacle yeah. when when uh, when it happens in these Mel Gibson movies, these people are fucking mortally wounded, and they still have to do shit. Well, and Eastwood's, you know, sort of a point and shoot, like you say, director. So it, it, there, there's there no, no way shots. The second unit in this pulls up some nice uh, landscapes, you know. But uh, yeah, when he's when he's on set, I don't think there's no it, it, there's no way that uh, I think Eastwood could have pulled off an epic uh, 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 film in the way that. Uh, well, what about have you seen the, in the, the letter letters from Iwo Jima and the uh, these two the the flags the, of our fathers flags yeah. of our fathers and letters uh, yeah uh, well, the war thing he can do the war thing he can do I just more you a know, war set if you go I guess build there a war location war you get the impression of an epic regardless of you know how handless the director is if you see a bunch of jeeps running around and a bunch of Quonset huts yeah okay I guess it's I guess it's an epic you know you feel that. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I think Mel Gibson in, uh, in, uh, what you made me think of, uh, was, uh, the man without a face, which he, which he did so that he could do Braveheart. Right. And he, and he says, I, I can direct, I can direct something fairly subtle and interesting. And he does. And then the obvious, uh, third act reveal of this movie, he just cuts out and completely did uh, the, the hero character who, uh, is, is, uh, ugly and, and marked for life because people believe he was a child molester. It turns out in the movie, no, he's just ugly and marked for life, and he didn't deserve that, which mm -hmm. is the, imparting zero lesson to the uh, ingenue character who's trying to grow and learn something from Mel Gibson's character. Whereas in the book, and it's obvious in the movie that the ending doesn't work at all, uh, oh, I'm not a child molester. I was just a good guy. And uh, finding out that your hero was complicated uh, is a thing that uh, Mel Gibson steadfastly refuses to do because he's too traditional Hollywood sure. and he makes these things that look so much like a raw, raw Hollywood movie. I find them oftentimes, uh, uh, irresistible, you know, mm -hmm. even though these, these right-wing politics are just as forefront, the, these, these, you know, chrome magnet ethics, uh, are, are, you know, painted as gaudily on the screen as, as in a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, he's competent. He cares about the movie going experience. He gives a shit whether we can follow it and whether the characters uh, seem to grow. You know, all this fucking artsy shit. Mm -hmm. And yet, still, basically uh, uh, not a very complex or interesting filmmaker. But you compare him to Clint Eastwood and all of a sudden Mel Gibson's a fucking, you know, movie hero. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a really competent uh, A-list director uh, when you compare him with somebody as successful as fucking Clint Eastwood. I do not understand the world or how it works, Todd. I just prefer the old Clint Eastwood where he's just shooting people. Uh, you know, I, it's like if I'm going to watch right wing entertainment, that's what I want. I want people. Yep. I want the heroes just shooting people. Yep. That's, that's it. And that's and, why and I went to see went to see Cop Shop. Uh, <laughs> how was it? I enjoyed it very much. Uh, uh, I. I hope that I will enjoy it. You just uh, let me backtrack just slightly. Uh, you mentioned that when uh, when Clint Eastwood just shoots people, it's your favorite uh, in in a, in a right wing type entertainment. And I, I was just going to say this movie, Cry Macho, is those pause and reflect scenes in Unforgiven. 
Mm-hmm. Except it's an entire movie made out of the camping scene uh, where you say poignant things about your history, except uh, we know that it's in furtherance of some other crisis, which is coming down the road. And Cry Macho is just, we're, we're hanging out. Uh, it's just so relaxed <laughs> that's what it is uh, maybe uh, his next movie will be a remake of My Dinner with Andre oh with uh, him and Mel Gibson that, Clint, Clint Eastwood and Mel Gibson having dinner and uh, and talking about the state of uh, American theater <laughs> that would be uh, a, a hell of a draw <laughs> nobody could resist uh, what are we uh, watching next time, Todd? What are you going to do to me? Uh, I I don't know yet, man. Uh, I I got to do some research. Okay. Um, I'm going to watch this new uh, Hall uh, Fuqua Netflix thing. Okay. I'm, I'm curious about that. Maybe it'll be good. Who knows? And then we won't talk about it. Um, okay. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. I don't know yet. I can't tease Please. anything. Yet. All right. Well, I have to pee so fucking ferociously, and I'm so sorry. I'm trying to stay hydrated. Because yeah. uh, you know that's important. And so, that's important. so yeah, uh, uh, I love you, Todd. I'm so glad love we get too. to spend this this time together. Uh, and, and we uh, love you, and, listeners. You guys, Scott, Peter. Uh, I just can't <laughs> thank you enough for uh, uh, making it seem like this is all a good idea. Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm in the middle of a show and I'll think, Todd, Todd's fucking crazy. Todd's idea to do a podcast with me rambling and fucking basically permanently drunk now because uh, I get so high just at the thought of a movie, you know, and he's like, ah, I know another movie junkie. I'll I'll exploit him Uh, like uh, Grey Gardens exploited those poor old ladies, you know, sitting around. I'm the object lesson. And then I think, well, but Todd's smarter than that. Maybe maybe Todd's got uh, got something else going on. He's pulling another string, and uh, and when 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 Scott and Peter listen, and all our other loyal uh, listeners, I think uh, shit. Maybe I should just shut up. No. Maybe I should just 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 shut up and play, you know, and not worry about the consequences. Like for instance, that I'm revealed as a, a kind of a dummy some of the time. Because right. isn't that the human experience, Todd? We're all imperfect, Jason, and and you're very brave for uh, exposing those levels of your person. Uh, I've always felt so. Public. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I just wanted somebody to acknowledge that today, and now now I can pee in uh, in peace. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll, right. We'll we'll see you next month, everybody. Bye. This is everybody. Thanks. What's on your mind, babe? What's on your mind?